chapter 12. I'm going to read a portion of scripture, verses 18 through 21. Now, this week's message is going to sound quite a bit like the last two messages of love your enemies and bless them that curse you. Now, each of these messages, they continue to get closer to our personal space and they become progressively more intense and harder to follow God's command for our responses in these situations. This week's message becomes even more challenging. We can love our enemies from a good distance, perhaps remotely in prayer. It becomes harder when your enemy insults you, whether from a distance on social media, behind your back, to your peers, or even up close and personal to your face. However, when the spit hits your face, when they harm you, your family, or your position in life, it becomes even harder to follow God's command for our response. Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 17, recompense no to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. The title of our message today is Overcoming Evil with Good. Let's pray. Father, as always, I stand here needing you, needing you to speak. Lord God, I give my voice to you. I want to give my thoughts to you. Lord God, that the Holy Spirit might speak to us today. You know every heart here. You know every situation here. And so, Lord, I pray that you open the hearts of each individual today to these thoughts of overcoming evil with good. What a difficult thing. But, Lord, I believe you have something special for us today in this message. I pray that we would be excited and hear it, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, our fleshly instincts are to have fun at someone else's expense. Then it's our fleshly reaction to pay that person back. There was a young boy in Korea who was a houseboy for some American soldiers. Sometimes they thought it was funny to play harmless jokes on him. They would tease him, tie his shoestrings together, and lock him out of the house. Eventually, they realized that the boy did not find that their practical jokes were funny, and they apologized. The boy replied, that's okay. I'll stop spitting in your soup. Isn't that how it goes? So joking around with somebody can be a strange term of endearment. It can escalate out of control. It becomes especially hard for a Christian to respond in the correct way when physical pain is part of the conflict. I've seen some of that in my own 
family where some things have happened in the response that takes place. But this kind of reminds me of the story of an Irishman who was struck on the cheek from another fellow. He, be, he being a Christian, turned the other cheek. His enemy hit him on the other cheek so hard that he fell to the ground. The Irishman got back up on his feet, then proceeded to beat the stuffings out of the other fellow. Somebody asked him, why did you do that? You turned the other cheek. Why didn't you just leave it that way? The Irishman responded, the Bible tells you to turn your cheek, and I only had one cheek to turn. The Lord didn't tell me what to do after that. So I did what I thought I ought to do. <laughs> you know, I remember my mom actually giving me that advice as a young boy. She said, you only have two cheeks. He said, you go get him after that. <laughs> That's kind of our halfway of living for God, isn't it? You know, my mom was a mama bear like all moms. And sometimes mama bears do not respond in the best of ways. One time, an older neighborhood boy intimidated me in a trade of matchbox cars. He ended up with my new car, and I ended up with an older beat-up car with three wheels. When I got home, dejected from a poor trade, my mom asked me what happened. I think it took about three seconds before my mom took the car in one hand, and my hand in her hand, and Mama Bear and me were charging up the road to the bully's house. Now, I can't tell you what all happened, but I can tell you this. I did get my car back. Now, that's a kind of a good sample of how to do good to them who use you and give it to the authority to straighten it out. But we'll talk a little bit more about that later. Now, one of the best examples of overcoming evil with good comes from our Lord and Savior. Not long after his triumphant entry into Jerusalem, what we would call today Palm Sunday. The celebration one week before Christ's resurrection. I know Tim has given much attention to this, but it bears looking at, again, John 13, verse 1. You don't have to turn there. I have a lot of scriptures, and I'll get you into some scriptures or we'll be too long uh, this morning. John 13, 1 now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end, and... Supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Now I need to ask you, do you think he skipped over Judas's feet? No. He washed his feet. He knew who he was, what he was going to do. Now skipping down to verse 21, who would Jesus honor by giving the first sop to? And Tim talked a little bit about the honor of the first sop. John 13, 21, when Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spake. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. You'd think he'd get the first sob. He's right there. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. He then, lying on Jesus' breast, saith unto him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, He it, he it is to whom... I shall give a sop. 
when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then Jesus said unto him, That thou doest, do quickly. Now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him. For some of them thought, because Judas had the bag, that Jesus had said unto him, Buy those things that we have need of against the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. He then, having received the sop, went, out, went immediately out, and it was night. Then in the garden, which we talked about today, he meets Judas, who comes to betray Jesus. How would Jesus address this one who would come to betray him? Matthew 26, 45, Then cometh he to the disciples, and saith unto them, Sleep on now, and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand. And the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. And while he yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came, and with him a great multitude with swords and staves, from the chief priests and elders of the people. And he that betrayed him gave them a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, the same as he, hold him fast. And forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master. Now remember, you look at that word master and you look at that word Lord through the scriptures. Just something for you to remember. And kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? He said, Friend. Now I don't, he wasn't being sarcastic. He was loving the very one that would betray him. Jesus returned good for evil. And it was powerful in the life of Judas, and it's powerful in our lives. First Peter 2.21, for even hereunto here were ye called, because Christ also suffered us for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth? Who, when he was reviled, Reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. Who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Jesus did not act in the flesh. Or use his power. He realized that there was a purpose in his suffering. Now let's just stop here at the cross for a moment. Yes, Jesus died for the sins of the world. But that does not save you. What saved you is when God speaks personally to you. That he died for you. And in that moment between you and God alone... You humbly receive him as your Savior and as the Lord of your life. We have a lot of things that we do in churches. But if God's speaking to you, when he's speaking to you, I don't care what's going on here. You trust him. You believe on him. And if you do that this morning, I want you to come to me or somebody else and tell us what you did. Now, but if you are saved, Christ stands as an example for us to overcome evil with good. They are tall shoes to fill. But we are commanded 
to fill them. Stephen fulfilled the com command when martyred. You even mentioned him today. It's amazing how God uses things. You think Tim and I got together and try to put these things together, but it, God does. Acts 7.54, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. He was testifying to the Jews of Christ, and they did not like it. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. You know, those are familiar words. It's, Jesus said those words, too, when we see in his, in his trial. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him and the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down, he cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. In our flesh, we may think, what a waste of Stephen's life. I don't think Saul would think so memory he'll never forget and probably others as well but let's look at another person in the old testament that would bear the command to overcome evil with good and again we'll be looking at the life of david to gain some practical insight on what it looks like to overcome evil with good now david as a child was a goodly shepherd and he sought god in his life he did good didn't he as a result, David was chosen by God to be king of Israel, even as but as a youth. He did good. If you would, turn to 1 Samuel. We're going to be reading a lot out of 1 Samuel here in the life of David, as he had to overcome some things in his life. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 13, we'll begin there. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil... And anointed him, and I want to emphasize, in the midst of his brethren. In the spirit, and I want to emphasize this, and the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. We were talking in evening service about David's life and his zeal for the Lord. Man, here it is. The spirit of God came upon him. That's what overcame him. That's what needs to overcome our lives to be able to do what God wants us to do, and we can be like David and do courageous things and be zealous of God. And then it concludes, so Samuel rose up and went unto Ramah. As a young man, David became a private musician for Saul, playing the harp and comforting Saul from an evil spirit. Again, he did good, 1 Samuel 16, 23. And it came to pass when the evil spirit of, from God was upon Saul that David took an harp and played with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and was well, and the evil spirit departed from him. Now, Dave, now, after this, David shows up on the battlefield to slay Goliath. He does an amazingly good thing. 1 Samuel 17 48. And it came to pass when the Philistines arose and came to drew nigh to meet David, that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistines. And David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slang it and smote the Philistine in his forehead that the stone sunk into his forehead that he fell upon his face to the earth. 
So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him, but there was no sword in the hand of David. Now you would think that for all the good that David had done, good man, done all these good things, that he would be rewarded well, especially of his family, wouldn't you think? But his brother rewarded him evil, probably because of his jealousy. 1 Samuel seventeen twenty-eight, And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep? In the wilderness, I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart. For thou art come down that thou might see the battle. Man, thanks, brother. <laughs> that was real nice. The story reminds me of Joseph and his brothers. Hey, folks, it's the story through the Bible. The story of Joseph's life would be another good example of returning good for evil. You'll probably have some reminders of that as we go through David's life. Returning back to David's story, Saul also would return evil to David because of his jealousy. 1 Samuel 18, 6, and it came to pass as they came when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women came out of all the cities of Israel and singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tabrets, with joy, and with instruments of music. And the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very wroth, and the saying displeased him, and he said, They have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. And what can he have more but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day and forward. And it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied in the midst of the house, and David played with his hand, as at other times, and there was a javelin in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the javelin, for he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it. And David avoided out of his presence twice. Yeah, do good. You'll see what happens. <laughs> First Samuel 19.1. And Saul spake to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants, that they should kill David. I wonder what David felt like there. David for years spent his life running from Saul, having done nothing but good for the king and the kingdom. How would David overcome evil with good? Number one, by thinking properly. David was humble in his response to Saul. 1 Samuel chapter 24, if you want to turn there. After whom is the king of Israel come out? After whom dost thou pursue? After a dead dog? After a flea? And then 1 Samuel 26, 20. Now therefore let not my blood fall to the earth before the face of the Lord. For the king of Israel has come out to seek a flea. As one doth hunt a partridge in the mountains. He was humbling himself. Who he was? I'm nothing to you, king. I'm, not, I'm a little bitty nothing. Our natural thinking is just the opposite. We tend to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. Romans 12, 3, for I say, through the grace given unto me, that every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man 
the measure of faith. Now, when asked if he ever encountered situations in which he did not know what to do, the famous inventor, Samuel Morse, responded more than once. And whenever I could not see my way clearly, I knelt down and prayed to God for light and understanding. Morse was esteemed for his invention of the telegraph, but felt undeserving. I've made a valuable application of electricity, not because I was superior to other men, but solely because God, who meant it for mankind, must reveal it to someone, and he was pleased to reveal it to me. Not only did David see himself properly, he saw others properly. David did not see Saul as an enemy. He viewed Saul as the God-ordained leader and king of his beloved Israel. 1 Samuel 26, 9, and David said to Abishai, or Abishai, you've got to have an Abishai. You've got to love them. They're ready to take care of business for you. Destroy him not, for who can stretch forth his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? There's a good lesson for us concerning our current president. We may not like this, but we should not view him as an enemy, but as God's instrument and pray for him. Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord as the rivers of water. He turneth it whithersoever he will. David's acts of good, though short-lived, did produce a change of heart from Saul, at least momentarily. 1 Samuel 26, 21, Then said Saul, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will no more do thee harm, because my soul is precious in thine eyes this day. Behold, I have played the fool and have erred exceedingly. But we need to remember that the real battle is not with people who do evil, but with the source of evil, Satan himself. Ephesians 6.12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, I don't understand what all that is. I just know that it is. Not only do we need to think right to return good for evil, we must also remember to do right in the confrontation. This is point two of the message. David had two instances where he could have easily killed Saul. He even had his men bidding him to kill Saul, and God set it all up for him. He knew God was all there for him to do if he chose. But he choose, chose to do the right. He was committed to doing right. And this was not an easy thing. 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 1 it says, and it came to pass when Saul was returned from following the Philistines that it was told him, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel, 3,000, and went to seek David and his men upon the rocks of the wild goats. And he came to the sheepcoats, by the way, where was a cave, and Saul went in to cover his feet. And David and his men remained in the sides of the cave, and the men of David said unto him, Behold, the day of the Lord said unto thee, Behold, I will deliver thine enemy into thine hand, that thou mayest do to him as it shall seem good unto thee. 
Then David arose and cut off the skirt of Saul's robe privately. And it came to pass afterward that David's heart smote him because he had cut off Saul's skirt. He knew he did wrong by even cutting off that skirt. You know, David was trying to fix things. If you've ever been in that situation and you just want to try to fix a relationship, and you'll go out of your way to do things. And, and, and I believe David knew he went too far out of the way. Because this battle is not ours, folks. It's God's battle. And he was starting to take it into his own hand. And it smote him that he even did that. But not only did David go out of his way to do right and prove his motivations were right, he was willing to make any wrong right. First Samuel 26, 18, and he said, Wherefore doth my Lord... Pursue after his servant. And what have I done? Or what evil is in mine hand? This kind of reminds me of the words we just heard of Jesus this morning. He kind of had a question for him. Then. What have I done? Now therefore I pray thee, let my Lord the King hear the words of his servant. If the Lord stirred thee up against me, let him accept an offering. But if they be the children of men, cursed be they before the Lord, for they have driven me out of this day from abiding in the inheritance of the Lord, saying, Go, serve other gods. This reminds me of a familiar New Testament verse. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. If we are unwilling to pursue reconciliation with a brother. We cannot be right in our relationship with God. It may be like David. We try to pursue reconciliation, but the other party is unwilling. But even so, making the effort helps us to overcome evil with good. Now finally, we will see where David submitted to the sovereignty of God in the matter. This is the third and final point of the message. 1 Samuel 26.10 David said, Furthermore, as the Lord liveth, the Lord shall smite him, or his day shall come to die, or he shall des descend into battle and perish. We would be wise not to take matters in our own hands, like the Irishman. <laughs> but rather, like David, we must let God be God and allow him to decide the matters. David recognized the sovereignty of God, and he also recognized the righteousness of God. 1 Samuel 24, 12 says, The Lord judge between me and thee, and the Lord avenge me of thee, but mine hand shall not be upon thee. As saith the proverb of the ancients, wickedness proceedeth from the wicked, but mine hand shall not be upon thee. After whom is the king of Israel come out? After whom dost thou pursue? After a dead dog? After a flea? The Lord therefore be judge. And judge between me and thee. And see and plead my cause and deliver me out of thine hand. He let God, the righteous God, do the choosing of what? Because he'll do what's right. <laughs> We're probably going to do what's wrong. So then where did David find the wherewithal to return evil for good? First of all, he thought properly. 
he thought soberly about himself and about his enemy who he esteemed as God's anointed king of Israel. He was committed to doing right, to set aside the flesh and give place to God's word, to rather act upon faith. He was also committed to making things right if need be. He submitted, thirdly, he submitted to the sovereignty and righteousness of God. You know what? I think David may have had a favorite Bible character and may have helped him through this great trial of his. I think that Bible character would have been Joseph. And Joseph's theology of returning good for evil was this. Go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 50. Keep your place in Samuel there. I may go back there. Genesis chapter 50. Nice thing about Genesis, it's the very first book in the Bible. You can get there pretty quick. Beginning in verse 15 of Genesis 50. And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us, and we will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall ye say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin, for they did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. Just like David, Joseph had in his hand to do what he would will. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. And his brethren also went and fell down before his face. They said, Behold, we be thy servants. What wisdom Joseph had to God that we would have it. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, ye thought it evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. Now therefore fear ye not, I will nourish you. thirst, give him water. If he's hungry, give him food. And your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. Romans 12, 18. Again, our text verse, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. <laughs> the first step of returning good for evil is the very prevention of it. In manufacturing facilities, you have maintenance men. The very first part of maintaining equipment is what we call preventative maintenance. We were just talking about that, weren't we? A little grease goes a long way, doesn't it? They call it PMs. The purpose is to prevent breakdowns by proactively servicing the equipment. Some people are known, I'm afraid, for stirring up trouble. But we are called to be peacemakers. However, there'll be times when conflict cannot be avoided, and then comes God's command. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Here we learn the lesson that revenge is not sweet, it is bitter. 
Hebrews 12, 15, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Furthermore, we must remember that the enemy is not the person, but it is rooted in Satan himself, of whom we are, listen to this folks, we are ill-equipped in the flesh to war with. The key is to get the battle into God's hands, and here is his way in doing so. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. I'm not saying this is easy. I'm just saying this is what God says, and it's right. If he thirst, give him drink, for in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Now, there's a lot of thoughts about what is this heaping coals of fire upon your enemy's head. What does, that, what does that mean? And I've heard a lot of different things. But I would like to leave you with one prevailing thought. Coals upon the enemy's head will cause action in the enemy. It ain't going to just sit there. Perhaps to repentance. Praise the Lord, and that's where our heart ought to always be. Of reconciliation. Or perhaps to their destruction. You know, the prophets had that on them. They gave the word of God, and sometimes it turned a good way, and sometimes it was the death sentence. Doing good takes the hurt, anger, and bitterness out of your court and returns it upon the head of the enemy for him to deal with it. Any method to return evil other than that of returning good can be returned back to you in an endless, futile battle. But an action of return to good for evil cannot be returned to you. Returning good for evil does one simple thing. It shifts the battle lines between you and the enemy to the enemy and God. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. 1 Peter 4.19, Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. Now, I'm not sure what your battles look like in life. Your particular circumstances are unique from that of Joseph's, from that of David's or Stephen's or even of my own. But the battle plan is the same. It was the same as our Savior, Jesus Christ, when he came to Jerusalem on what we call Palm Sunday. Though the believers of that day thought he would use his power as God to dethrone the Roman government and set up his earthly kingdom, he did something nobody expected. He loved his enemies. He did good to all sinful mankind by laying his life down willingly. In so doing, his love heaped coals of fire upon all mankind. We were the enemy. And what he did, what we say, what he did is he put it upon us. He brought us, he brought man to a place where each of us need to make a decision to repent 
We've got to do something with these coals on our head. To repent and believe on Christ and live. Or to reject, rebel, and die. Luke 20, 17 will make a lot more sense. And he beheld them and said, What is this then that is written? Lord speaking. The stone which the builders rejected. The same has become the head of the corner. Listen to this. Whosoever, here's your heap of coals, what you need to decide to do, folks. Whosoever shall fall upon that stone shall be broken. But on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind into powder. We have one or two choices, folks. Would you trust Christ to be your Savior and Lord of your life by the undeniable proof of his love for you today. It's on you. It's on, it's, it's on, on your shoulders, on your head. And if you're saved, will you commit yourself to overcome evil by doing good? And I'll leave you with the rest of the first Peter. Chapter 4, verse 16. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian... Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? He's got a question here. you got a choice. How are you going to live your life? You're going to return evil for evil? Or are you going to return good for evil? And he's saying, depending on what you do here, folks, depends on what the world sees. What's the hope of, the, of people out there? It says, and if the right, righteous scarcely be saved, in other words, if we don't learn and do what God says, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him and well-doing as unto a faithful creator. As the pianist comes, begins to play with heads bowed and eyes closed. It's a simple message, but it's a hard message. But it's the right message. Dare. Dare to do it and watch God come up close to you. Watch him change your heart to help you love people more than you've ever loved people before. Be more committed to giving the gospel out. And if you're here and you haven't trusted Christ in your heart, ask now. He wants to save you. Not just from eternal hell, but He wants to give you the life that He has set out for you already. For your life is hid in Christ. If you've done that today, it is your responsibility. It's in your heart to tell somebody else what you've done. That we may rejoice with you. It's a wonderful thing. Every time I see in the scripture when somebody gets saved, it's not a neutral thing. There's gladness. There's joy. And you need to share that. For the rest of us who are saved, Let us do good unto them who do us evil.
you all for listening. I trust that God spoke to your heart, maybe in a special way, each one of you in a different way. I enjoy I know pastor here. It's, it's incredible, isn't it, when you, you preach and somebody comes up to you and they, they get something out of this message that you think, I didn't, I didn't see that in that message. And this other person has something they get. It's a wonderful thing. It's God working. God working in each individual heart. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your blessings today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your encouragement. Thank you for giving us the techniques to live in this evil world. May we use them, Lord God. And now, Father, we ask your blessings on the food we're about to receive and then on uh, going to close to home today. May we be a blessing to those people. May your word that's read and the songs that are sung dig deep into people's hearts today. For we ask it in Jesus' name.